Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 135, Russian Generals of the Napoleonic Era, Part 2. Last time, we discussed an overview of the Russian Imperial Army. Today, we're going to cover the careers and lives of the big three generals in the Napoleonic War, Pyotr Bagration, Mikhail Andreas Barclay de Tolly, and finally, Mikhail Kutuzov. Pyotr Ivanovich Bagration was born in 1765 to the royal Georgian dynasty, the Bagrationi. This royal family ruled Georgia from the Middle Ages until the early 19th century, when it was annexed by Russia. Interestingly enough, the Bagration family still exists today, with some politicians in Georgia calling for a return to a constitutional monarchy. Bagration began his military career in 1782 as a sergeant in the Kavsansk Rifles in the Astrakhan Infantry Regiment. His first engagement was part of the Russian Circassian War, fought between 1763 to 1864. Now, this is not just a continuous battle, but there were many wars within this war. And the, its intention was for Russia to conquer the Caucasus, the land of the Kabaradians, Balkars, Karachays, Abbasins, Ossetians, Inguishes, and Chechens. Here is where much of the animosity between these peoples and the Russians have their beginnings. The town of Sochi, home of the 2014 Winter Olympics, is in this area, which is why there are such heightened fears of terrorist attack. During this war, hundreds of thousands of people died in the area, many from starvation when they were forcibly deported to the Ottoman Empire. Bagration followed his orders to a T, but his career was one of constant elevation because of his military genius, something which he gave credit to his mentor, Alexander Suvorov. By 1799, he had risen to the rank of Major General. Suvorov took him under his wing when he had Bagration join him in the Italian and Swiss campaigns. These battles against the forces of France were fought as part of the Second Coalition, consisting of Austria, Great Britain, the Kingdom of Naples, the Ottoman Empire, the Papal States, Portugal, Russia, Sweden, and some other minor states. Due to the poor showing of the French and the corruption within the military and government, Napoleon was to stage a coup and take over France. Bagration continued his move up the ranks, in part because of his achievements and in part because he did not face the wrath of Tsar Paul I, as many others around him did. By 1801, Bagration was elevated to the command of the Chasseurs of the Imperial Guard and commander of the Jaeger Brigade. In 1805, he was given the command of the Advance Guard at the Battle of Austerlitz. The overall commander of the Russian army was ostensibly Mikhail Kutuzov, who had warned the coalition army against their plan of defensive warfare, but he was overruled by Alexander I and replaced by Franz von Weyrother, a dreadful mistake that Napoleon took advantage of when he absolutely crushed his enemy's armies. Bagration's men fought bravely against divisions led by Marat and Lannes, and better than most of the rest of the Russian army due to the bungling orders of Alexander and von Weyrother. Bagration and his men fought with brilliance as a small rearguard resisting the repeated attacks 
of forces five times his own numbers at the Battle of Holobrun. Half his men died, but the retreat of the main army under Kutuzov was successful. From here, Bagrachon was promoted to lieutenant general, where he led his men against the French at the battles of Ilau, Heilsberg, and Friedland. Although his men fought with valor, bravery, and quite fiercely, they were unable to achieve victory over the forces of Napoleon. After Friedland, the Treaty of Tilsit was signed, ending, for a while, hostilities between France and Russia. In 1800, Pyotr was smitten with an amazing beauty, Catherine Vasilevna Engelhardt, daughter of Count Pavel Martinovich Skavronsky, Chamberlain of the Royal Court. The feeling was not mutual, but Emperor Paul, in one of his crazy moments, announced to a stunned court that he was marrying the two of them, which he did that year. They really couldn't refuse. Catherine was, of course, not a happy person, because as General Louis Alexandre Andrade de Langeron said, quote, Bagrachon married the young niece of the great Prince Potemkin. This rich and lustrous partner did not suit him. Bagrachon was a mere soldier, with the tone and manners of one, and he was extremely ugly. His wife was as white as he was black, and she was as beautiful as an angel, bright, the liveliest of the beauties of St. Petersburg. She would not be happy with such a husband for long. He had a typical Georgian nose, which was long and hooked, and was the butt of many jokes. But he took it in stride. Once, when an aide-de-camp, Denis Davidoff, told him that an enemy was so close as to be on their nose, Bagrachon was to have replied, quote, On whose nose? If mine, we have enough time to have breakfast. If yours, we have to hurry. By 1805, his wife Catherine had enough of their marriage and left to move to Vienna. There, she is supposed to have become a spy for the Russians and had an affair with Austrian Chancellor Clemens Metternich, with whom she had a child, Clementine. Tsar Alexander I ordered Bagrachon to declare the child his own, but theirs was never a real relationship. Catherine racked up huge debt during her time in Vienna, but her husband, despite the adulterous behavior of his wife, constantly bailed her out. After the peace of the signing of the Treaty of Tilsit, Bagrachon was considered a war hero and was to have a torrid affair with the sister of Alexander I, Catherine. Well, this did not sit well with the Tsar. He ordered the relationship to end and sent Pyotr to lead an army in Finland where he captured the Oland Islands after a daring march across the country. Then Alexander sent him to lead armies at the battles of Rasova and Tataritsa in 1809 in the war against the Turks. He was then promoted to general of the infantry. By 1812, Bagrachon was given command of the Second Army of the West. He led a preemptive strike against Napoleon before his invasion, and although defeated at the Battle of Mogilev, he was able to scare the French. After the battle, Napoleon was to have said, quote, Russia has no good generals. The only exception is Bagrachon. At the Battle of Borodino, which was to be the beginning of the end for Napoleon, Bagrachon led the left wing. During the fighting, Pyotr was to suffer a grave wound. He was sent to his aunt's estate in the village of Simi, where he died of his wounds two weeks later on September 24th. Legend has it that when he heard that Moscow was to be abandoned, 
He was so shocked that he stood up too quickly, which caused one of his wounds to open up, bleed out, and that caused him to die. He was only 47 when he passed away. There were numerous honors named after the man, and a monument was erected at Borodino in his honor. Also, Operation Bagrachon was the code name for the Soviet 1944 Belarusian strategic offensive operation. He was noted as one who deeply cared for his men, but also demanded strict discipline. Bagrachon once wrote, quote, In military service, the first objective is order, subordination, discipline, unanimity, and friendship. Now we move on to the second of the three men, Michael Andreas Barclay de Tolly. A member of the Scottish clan Barclay, his family came to Livonia in 1621 after Sir Patrick Barclay, the 17th Baron of Towie, signed a letter of safe conduct from John and Peter Barclay, both merchants in the town of Banff, Aberdeenshire. Five generations after Peter, Michael was born. Even with his family having a long history in Russia, Many nobles and fellow military men always viewed him as a suspicious foreigner. Born in December of 1761 to a German-speaking family in Zamilis, in the country that is now known as Estonia, his grandfather was a mayor of Riga, and his father was made a Russian nobleman. At the tender age of six, Barclay was sent off to enlist in the Peskov Karabiner Regiment. From 1788 to 89, Barclay served in one of those endless wars against the Ottoman Empire, distinguishing himself in the taking of Ochakov and Ackerman. In 1790, he fought in the Russo-Swedish War, and then in 1794, he fought against the Polish army. He began to serve as an aide-de-camp to a number of Russian generals, of course the most important being our good old friend Alexander Suvorov. Because of his brilliant service in the war against Poland, Mikhail was promoted to general major. During the early war against Napoleon, Dottoli was to show off his skills at the battles of Pultusk and Ilau, where his, he was wounded for the first time. Due to his excellent service, he was made a lieutenant general. In 1808, he was given the post of commander of the war against Sweden during the Finnish War. His win at the town of Umia in Sweden gained him international recognition. There is a poem by the Russian poet Baratinsky which immortalized him in the eyes of his countrymen. Dottoli was made a full general and the governor general of Finland. In 1810, he was named the Minister of War, a position to which he was to hold on to until 1813. When Napoleon invaded Russia in 1812, Dottoli was given command of the largest of the armies, the First Army of the West. It was Mikhail who suggested the scorched earth tactics that were to bring about the destruction of the Grand Army. Alexander had by now decided to name Dottoli as the overall commander of the army, but was meant with stiff opposition from his advisors. And I mean, they really went after him. They began to spread ugly rumors against Barclay Dottoli, claiming everything from him being an agent of Napoleon or being a coward refusing to fight the Frenchman. Despite his protestations, he was forced to engage Napoleon in a battle at Smolensk by the Tsar with absolutely disastrous results. Because Smolensk was such an important Russian city, the cries for Dutoli's head by both Alexander's advisors and the people caused the Tsar to name Kutuzov overall commander. 
Still, he was the head of the First Army of the West when the Battle of Borodino was fought. He was the head of the right flank, and it was his suggestion that Moscow be abandoned and burnt to the ground to give Napoleon no shelter from the coming winter. Dottoli was by now a much despised man, which may explain why he felt ill at the time, but his strategy was sound and would eventually lead to victory. His illness was to follow him for the rest of his career, though. The successes following the abandonment of Moscow was to lead to his popular rehabilitation with the people. When Kutuzov died in 1813, the Tsar turned to Dutoli to take the helm. He led the Russians in the battles of Dresden, Kulm, and Leipzig that year. Michael's actions in Leipzig were so impressive that Alexander made him a count. By 1815, he was once again named as commander-in-chief and was also elevated to the title of prince. With his health deteriorating rapidly, he left the military to try to get better. Unfortunately, he died on May 26, 1818, in East Prussia, on the way from his estate in Estonia, hoping to regain his health at a spa in Germany. As for his personal life, not much has been written, except that he was married to one Helene Augusta Eleanor von Schmitten, and that he had a son named Magnus. His son was to have no children, so when he died in 1871, the Dutoli family was no more. His legacy was that of a brave and fearless commander, despite the rumors of his rivals. Dutoli also had to always fight the fact that his name and his family were not considered Russian. Lastly, but definitely not least, we have Mikhail Ilyaronovich Golinshev Kutuzov. Born into a high society family on September 16, 1745, in St. Petersburg, Mikhail had a head start on his contemporaries. His father was a military man, Lieutenant General Ilarion Matveyevich Kutuzov. His mother's family was an old noble family, Beklimishev. Because of his parents, he had close connections with the Romanov family. He was also very well educated at home, as were most children of the nobility. But he had a special genius. But tragically, his mother died when he was a small boy, and he was mostly raised by his grandmother. By the age of 12, Kutuzov was sent to St. Petersburg Artillery and Engineering School. When he graduated in 1759, he was top of his class. For the next two years, he taught mathematics. He was also fluent in English, Polish, German, Swedish, and Turkish, which was to benefit him politically in the future. When Kutuzov was 16, he was, and this is kind of surprising to me, and uh, something I learned here, but he was already promoted to the officer corps as an ensign. By the next year, the age of 17, he was already a captain and company commander in the Astrakhan Infantry Regiment. It is likely that some of his quick promotions were because of merit, but they were also equally due to his father and his connections. At Astrakhan, we come up with an old familiar name again. Is where he would find his teacher and mentor, Alexander Suvarov. Suvarov taught the young Kutuzov his style of command, leadership, and tactics. This was to be of immense help in furthering his career. But there was a mischievous side to Kutuzov which was to cause him trouble and even threaten his life. Quickly after spending time with Suvarov, Mikhail was sent to Poland to become the aide-de-camp of the military governor of Ravel. Prince Goldstein Bekski. Kutuzov was 
proved to be a very smart and clever politician there. In 1768, he helped put down a rebellion in Poland led by the nobility. The Ottoman Empire, ever a threat to Russian expansionism, declared war in 1768. This is where he was to learn much about how to be a leader, but also where he learned a vital lesson that was to mold his leadership style, and it was because of his mischievous behavior. On the staff of Russian General Pyotr Rumyantsev, he mocked the superior behind his back, and as punishment was sent to serve as a line officer in the Second Crimean Army in 1772. While fighting at the time of Volushta on July 24, 1774, Kutuzov was hit in the temple by a bullet which exited near his right eye, causing him to go blind. Somehow he survived a wound that was at the time fatal to almost everyone else. Now, amazingly, Kutuzov was also hit in the same place in 1788 and once again survived. His surgeon remarked that, quote, he survived wounds that by all medical laws are mortal. His medic stated that, quote, destiny must yet have a great deed in store for him. Between the two near-fatal wounds, Kutuzov went to Europe for treatment, traveling through England, the Netherlands, Italy, Germany, and Austria, where he met with a lot of different military people and learned a lot of different techniques. And he also met King Frederick II of Austria. When he returned, he was reunited with Alexander Suvorov in the Crimea to bring order to the region. On April 27, 1778, he married Ekaterina Bibikova, a daughter of one of Catherine the Great's close friends. In 1784, now a major general, Kutuzov was sent on a diplomatic mission to the Crimean Khan, who he convinced to acknowledge the Russian state and step down from his throne. During the siege of the fortress of Ishmael in the Ukraine, Kutuzov was made its first governor. Because of his diplomatic skills, after the peace treaty of Jassy was signed in 1792, he was appointed ambassador to the Ottoman Empire. In Istanbul, he led a 650-person diplomatic staff and was able to gain the Sultan's trust. Returning to Russia in 1794, he was named the commander of the Infantry Noble Cadet Corps. The following year, he became the commander of the Russian troops in Finland. In 1796, Paul I became the new emperor, and unlike Suvorov and others, Kutuzov was to have somewhat amicable relations with him. He was to serve Paul as a diplomat to the Prussian court, as well as becoming the general governor of Lithuania. When Alexander came to power, though, Kutuzov was not to be favored by the new czar. After being appointed as the governor general of St. Petersburg, he stepped down after a year because of numerous disputes with Alexander. It seemed at this time that his military career was over, but war was on the horizon with the ascension of Napoleon in France. In 1805, Alexander had no choice but to recall Kutuzov. He was made a field marshal, which is the highest rank, and was sent to join up with the Austrian army to battle the French coalition. Unfortunately, the Austrians had already surrendered, and Kutuzov was faced with an army four times larger than his. He ordered a hasty retreat and even won a battle against one of Napoleon's exposed corps at the Battle of Dernstein. Kutuzov saw how brilliant his adversary was, and when he returned to the camp where Alexander I was staying, he told the Tsar in no uncertain terms that he should not take Napoleon lightly. 
The emperor scoffed at him and admonished the field marshal on being so timid. At the Battle of Austerlitz, December 2nd, 1805, Kutuzov warned both Alexander and the Austrian commander Franz von Weirother that the proposed battle plan was wrong and that it would lead to a certain defeat for the Allies. Alexander dismissed his concern, and when Kutuzov asked what he planned to do with the troops, the Tsar replied, That's none of your business. Neither the Austrian or Russian leaders took any advice from the field marshal, and for his part, Kutuzov offered none. Blunder after blunder was made by the Allies, including the worst one, abandoning the Pratzen Plateau. Alexander ordered it, much to the utter astonishment of Kutuzov, when you give up the higher ground, he just couldn't understand that, and he held off following the order until he could no longer stay. When the Russians abandoned the strategic high ground, all was lost as Napoleon took advantage of this mistake. The Battle of Austerlitz was over, and the Russians and Austrian armies were crushed, with the Russians losing over 25,000 men. Kutuzov was ordered to retreat with his men back to Russia, while Alexander was dealing with the devastating loss. The Tsar, instead of taking the blame for the defeat, blamed Kutuzov. Sent away from St. Petersburg, the field marshal went to the south in 1811 to battle the Turks in the unending next Russo-Turkish War, which lasted from 1806 to 1812. Alexander needed the war to end as quickly as possible, knowing that he had unfinished business with Napoleon. Kutuzov led his men to numerous decisive wins, which led to the Treaty of Bucharest, which gave Russia the lands of Bessarabia. One of his greatest victories was at the Battle of Ruskuk, near the town of Rus, Bulgaria. There, with 15,000 men, he defeated the Sultan's 60,000-strong army. He then cut apart the Turks' army and forced the Sultan to capitulate. He was awarded the title of Knyaz, or Prince. Luckily for the Russians, the victory and peace with Turkey came at the right time, just weeks prior to Napoleon's invasion of Russia. Alexander, though, was still somewhat angry, irrationally, of course, with Kutuzov. The Tsar gave his field marshal an inconsequential position at the, as the head of the St. Petersburg and Moscow militia. But after the loss of the Battle of Smolensk, which was commanded by Generals Barclay de Tolly and Pyotr Bagrachon, Alexander's hand was forced to name Kutuzov because of his popularity with the men and the Tsar's advisors. De Tolly because he was viewed as a foreigner by many and was blamed for the loss, but yet again the Tsar had made a number of bad calls and not listened to his generals, and Kutuzov was considered the most Russian of all the head generals at the time. Now, he was the overall commander-in-chief of all the Russian forces, and Alexander decided maybe this time he'll stay out of it a little bit. The field marshal was asked how he could imagine defeating the seemingly invincible Napoleon. He smiled and said, quote, Not to defeat, but I'm hoping to deceive him. The Tsar thought that by picking Kutuzov, he would get more fight out of the Russian army. But the wily general knew that de Tolly's plan of limited engagement and drawing Napoleon deeper into Russia was the wise move. The French wanted a decisive battle where they could use their superior numbers and tactics to deal a decisive blow to the Russians and force them to the peace table. Napoleon was in a bind. The city of Smolensk was utterly destroyed, so it was a useless as a base of operations. 
the supply chain was beginning to get tight with the Cossacks successfully harassing the lines. The French had to make the gamble to head to Moscow and take the fight to the Russians and beat them in their old capital. Kutuzov believed that a major battle was in order, but he also knew that fighting one meant abandoning Moscow. The field marshal carefully selected the place, which is Borodino. On September 7, 1812, the largest battle in human history to that date was fought between over a quarter million men, with some estimates as high as 350,000. The fighting was brutal, with over 80,000 men dying that day. The Russians suffered more casualties overall, but the French lost more as 47 generals died, more than double of what the Russians lost. This loss of the brain trust of the French army was devastating to Napoleon. Kutuzov ordered a retreat that night with a rear guard positioned to slow French pursuit. And to this day, it baffles historians why Napoleon didn't press and go forward. He might have won the day had he gone out, but he got some false information. He thought that they were staying there and they would fight the next day, but that was it. When Napoleon crossed the Neiman River, he brought with him over 680,000 men. After Borodino, it was likely to be half of that left. Still, Napoleon was a force to be reckoned with. When Napoleon entered Moscow, he was stunned at what he saw. Holed up in the Kremlin, he looked around to see that most of the city was ablaze. It was, as, it was so bright, it was as though the night turned to day. He knew that he would have to abandon the city and turn around and retreat. When he went to Moscow, he, Napoleon thought that the Russians would never give up their old capital and they would be forced to sit at the negotiation table, but it was not to be. At the Battle of Maloyaroslavitz, Kutuzov cautiously forced Napoleon in the direction and the roads that he came. The reason for this was because this was the land that had been scorched to deny the French and their allies food and shelter. The other problem facing the Grand Armée was the Russian winter was coming, and it was brutal. Alexander wanted Kutuzov to crush Napoleon, but the field marshal did not want to put his men in harm's way. He knew it was over. But this angered the Tsar, but he was forced to allow Kutuzov to continue his harassment instead of decisive battles. Of course, Mikhail was right with his strategy, as only 93,000 of Napoleon's men out of the initial 680,000 recrossed the Neiman River on December 21st of 1812. Now Alexander said, Kutuzov, you've got to chase the French army and all the way into Europe and smash them. The field marshal was opposed to the idea, but had to follow orders. Into Poland and Prussia went the Russian army, but by now, Kutuzov's health began to deteriorate. While in the Polish town of Bunzlau, the great general was on his deathbed. Hearing this, Tsar Alexander went to the dying man and was overheard to say, quote, Forgive me, Mikhail Ilyaronovich. To which Kutuzov responded, I forgive you, your majesty. But Russia will never forgive. On April 28, 1813, Mikhail Kutuzov passed away. The man who helped turn away one of the greatest armies in the world, a general who cared deeply about his men and his country, passed into the history books as the savior of Russia. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join me next time when we go into the detail of the Battle of Borodino. Thanks for listening. And also thanks to Listener Rosa for the generous donation to the podcast last week. It will go to good use. Now please visit the blog site at RussianRulersHistory.com. And don't forget to visit us on Facebook at Russian Rulers History, where you can ask a question, leave a comment, make a suggestion, or occasionally participate in a poll, which we just had, which was to select a new topic for a future podcast. Uh, so now, as always, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.